1: Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. A beautiful young UNC co-ed's murder. Her family distraught. What happened to Faith Hedgepath? Crime Stories with Nancy Grace.
2: nine one one. Where is your emergency?
3: I um I just walked into my apartment and my friend place and you unconscious.
2: Okay, what's your address, ma'am?
3: I live at Hawthorne at this view. Oh um, um, give me give me the address. I just I just moved here. I'm about to get it. Oh my god. Um, five six three nine old chapel Hill road
2: in Durham. Okay, you say your friend is unconscious. <sighs>
3: He's unconscious. I just walked in the apartment and looks like there's blood. Okay, everywhere. listen to-
2: you are hearing the
1: nine one one call made by Fate the Hedge Pass roommate. You know, that's one of the first things I like to play for a jury because it takes you to the moment, to the scene of the crime, and very often you learn things you can't learn later. As the trial progresses, take a listen to more of that 911 call. Faith Hedgepath, a co-ed there at UNC, found unconscious in the floor by her roommate. Listen. I'm going to tell you how to help her, okay?
2: Okay. Okay. how How old is she? Okay.
3: He's I don't know. I okay. don't want to touch her, but...
2: Listen to me. Is, is she breathing? I don't know. You need to check and see. Is she breathing?
3: Kate, I don't think so. I don't think so.
2: Okay, listen to There's me.
3: There's blood everywhere. There's what? There's blood everywhere. I don't know what happened.
2: I'm trying
1: to understand what the roommate is seeing. You know, very often it's critical in what position the victim has been found. Has this scene been staged in any way? Take a listen to more of that
2: 911 call. Okay, is she on her back or is she on her laying on her stomach? She's on on her back, but like I think she
3: fell off the bed because she's, like, off the bed. There's blood all over the pillows, like, in the comforter. I just
2: don't know what happened. Okay. All right, listen to me, all right? There's someone coming. Please yes, I've got somebody coming. I've got somebody coming. I need for you to help her. I need for you to go up to her. We need to see if she's breathing or not. Okay. I
3: think
2: so. Okay. Listen to me. Go up. The paramedics are on their way. You're hearing the
1: 911 dispatcher trying to give instructions to Faith Hedgepath's roommate, who has discovered her. She thinks she's unconscious. She's not. She's dead. Faith Hedgepath, just 19 years old, found dead in her apartment that she shared with the roommate on September 7th. Classes were just Kicking into that time at very popular UNC. Joining me, an all-star panel to make sense of it all. First of all, Wendy Patrick, California prosecutor, author of Red Flags. And you can find her every day on Today with Dr. Wendy, KCBQ San Diego. Dr. Angela Arnold, renowned psychiatrist, joining us from the Atlanta jurisdiction. Uh, weighing in, her website, AngelaArnoldMD.com. Dr. Todd Todd Barr, Deputy Medical Examiner, Forensic Pathologist uh, at the Medical Examiner's Office. Cheryl McCollum, Founder Director of the Cold Case Research Institute. You can find her at coldcasecrimes.org. Serena Fazan, four-time Emmy Award-winning TV anchor and reporter, star of On the Record with Serena Fazan. But first, I want to go to a very special guest joining us. It's Connie Hedgepath. This is Faith's mother. Connie, thank you for being with us. You're welcome. You know, I've always wanted to ask you a question. Um, how did you pick the name Faith for Faith Hedgepath?
4: Um, at that time, when I found out I was pregnant, uh, there was um, trouble in in my marriage, and um, I had um uh, Leave after she was two months old. Um, my husband, he was um, uh, on drugs, and so I had to leave when she was two months old. And I knew with my faith in God that got me through it. So I named her Faith.
1: You know, it's it's interesting, Connie, that everyone has a reason behind the name they choose for their child, and I've always wondered about why you named her Faith. We were just playing that 911 call, and I want to apologize for any hurt that it causes you, but we have to confront the evidence head-on. Do you remember when you were contacted and told something had gone very wrong?
4: Uh, Yes, it was just like it was yesterday. Um. I was at work, and I was getting ready to have a meeting. Uh, I was the human resource manager at Lowe's in Run-Up Rapids, North Carolina. And um, one of my managers came to me and showed me that uh, one of my coworkers, which he worked part-time, and he was uh, um, he worked with the uh, run Rapids Police Department. He needed to see me. And um, so uh, I went in the manager's office and, uh, cl- and closed the door. And he told me that uh, he had a lady on the phone from Chapel Hill Police Department that wanted to speak to me.
1: Can I ask you right right there? When you were told that, did you get any feeling or hunch?
4: No, I mean i just um I just wonder was it something about faith, but you know mm-hmm. of course, didn't know what what it was about um so and of course, you know that don't that doesn't in a parent's mind that their child is dead, but um anyway, so when I picked up the phone or when he came in the phone um mm-hmm. i she asked me. Um, did I know Faith best? And I said, yeah. And she said, um, how do you know her? I said, she's my daughter. And, um, she said, well, I'm sorry to inform you, but Faith is dead. Oh, my god. And I said, no, she's not dead. You must have the wrong person. You know, it can't be her. And, um, she said, it is her. And we have ID'd her, and we need you to come to Chapel Hill. When
1: had you last spoken to her? I spoke
4: to her, the last time I spoke to her was, that was on um, a Friday. And I had spoke to her on Tuesday, which was my birthday. She had called me and wished me a happy birthday at work.
1: Stories with Nancy Grace. Guys, we are talking to Connie Hedgepath. This is Faith's mother joining us. You know, to you, Cheryl McCollum, you can learn a lot about your victim, and what you learn about your victim projects what you learn. It, it uh, unveils evidence that you use to determine who is the assailant. Because this is what I learned about Faith Hedgepath. Faith, of course, gorgeous, beautiful, brunette, young girl, just 19 years old, and very, very smart. I don't know if you knew this, Cheryl, but she had actually won a scholarship to study Mm -hmm. biology at UNC Chapel Hill, and her dream was to become a doctor. Not only that, she worked as a waitress and um, had come out of school because her caseload was so heavy. She didn't have time to study as much as she wanted to. What a dream child to have a child that wants to study more. And then she went back um, and still with the scholarship and she was considering teaching. I mean, everything about her was good and wonderful. And that tells me a lot, Cheryl. This is not a, a young girl who was experimenting with alcohol and drugs and, and men and staying out, out all night partying. This is a girl that actually wanted to study even more. And right. that rules out a lot of possibilities. It rules out a lot of possibilities and a lot of people. Let's just say she wasn't coming out of a bar at 4 a.m. and got kidnapped.
5: Exactly. So you and I would spend a lot of time looking at suspect pools. So oh, yeah. if somebody were, you know, using or dealing drugs, if somebody were, you know, dancing at a club for a living. You, uh, you mean it's stripper? I can't
1: believe you of all people are mincing words, but go ahead.
5: <laughs> but again, I mean, it, it matters because you're exposed to people that have a criminal element.
1: And I want to be clear, one victim is not more important than another victim because they are more uh, saintly. What I'm saying is, it's all about the evidence for me, Cheryl, who, as you said, who was she exposed to? What's my pool of suspects? Go ahead. Because that's where it starts. Mm -hmm. If
5: she were, you know, she was in the library earlier that day. Yeah. Okay, so she's around other students that are studious and, you know, trying to get their work done. Then, you know, she's with her roommate. Again, limited access to people very limited. She was at a rush event. Those are very specific people. The majority are going to be women. Um, so again, her suspect pool is very small here. She's been exposed to very few people that would have a criminal
1: element. You know, let's start at the beginning. Maybe Cheryl McCollum, director of the Cold Case Research Institute and forensics expert. Maybe we jump the gun. Let's go to Serena Fazan joining us, uh, investigative reporter on the record with Serena Fazan. Serena Fazan, thank you for being with us. Let's just start at the beginning, and I, I want you to hear Serena before you kick it off. Take a listen to more of that nine one one call. Listen
2: carefully. Listen. She's not moving. Okay. No. And will you touch her arm? Tell me, does she, how does she feel?
3: She's not moving. Okay,
2: ma'am, we need to find out if we can help her or not. You've got to, you know, do as I'm asking so we can help her. All right? Okay. if you can, lay her flat on her back. Remove any pillows her flat
3: on her back.
2: Flat on her back. Remove any pillows. Okay. Okay. Kneel next to her. Look in her mouth for food or vomit. What?
3: Really?
2: Okay. Kneel next to her. Look in her mouth for food or vomit. Tell me something. Listen to me. Listen to it. What is your name? Turn up. Sorry, I'm really.
1: Sorry. It's okay, honey. It's okay, it honey. It's okay. No. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Let me go straight out to Dr. Todd M. Barr, joining us, Deputy Medical Examiner and Forensic Pathologist. Uh, Dr. Barr, thank you so much for being with us. I've got a question. Why is that so important? What the, first of all, in my mind, 911 operators, you know, God bless them, but what they're asking the person unless you're trying to explain how to do CPR, they ask the most inane questions like, well, who was with her earlier today? Uh, Tell me her DOB. Just all kind of let me just say um, obscure facts, when the person is clearly going out of their mind. You hear the roommate keep saying there's blood everywhere. There's blood everywhere. But in this case, she's trying to tell uh, the roommate, Karina, how to perform CPR. We heard her state, put her on a flat surface. What's the point of what the dispatch is telling her?
6: Well, Nancy, I think the the reason she wants her flat on the floor is that in case there's any evidence that she might even be breathing shallow, that CPR could be started. And if she's in an awkward position, like hanging over the side of a bed or curled up under or something to that effect, uh, it's not effective to do CPR in those positions. So I think she's trying to calm the roommate down by asking her these mundane questions, and to get the body positioned in an area where uh, CPR would be most effective. Now, my only concern is if, if in fact, um, the, the young lady is not breathing, mm-hmm. then moving her around and dragging her around is only going to confound the evidence that's there at the scene.
1: Guys, what are we learning from the fact that there is blood everywhere? Uh, what that's telling me, Wendy Patrick, is it's a stabbing
7: or a shooting? or it could be blunt object. You know, it also tells me that this killing took an amount of time. In other words, it wasn't one gunshot. It wasn't one stab. It was something that was prolonged over time. And that's one of the clues. Right from the beginning, you know, we talk about earwitnesses, eyewitnesses. Mm -hmm. This was something that over the course of time should have been noticed, heard, seen, experienced by somebody else in the building. So that's what we learn by the amount of blood. And I have to agree with the doctor here. Moving the body around might do exactly that obscure whatever important evidence
2: that blood pattern can tell us
1: we're about to learn a little bit more take a listen to this
2: listen to me when you touch her how does she feel does she feel warm
3: no she feels
2: cold she feels cold okay okay all right don't touch anything else okay don't touch so anything coming.
3: else. They to okay,
2: they're on their way. I've got police on the way to you and I've got a got medics on the way. Okay. I can't
3: believe this. Okay. What
2: room is she in?
3: She's in my bedroom.
2: Okay, I want you to go back into the living room, okay?
3: You I need don't to go know and, what's going on. Like, okay,
2: there's, listen, there's listen to something in me. my
3: room that, like, was not here before.
2: Okay, listen like to someone me. someone had
3: came in here.
2: Okay,
1: okay. It
3: really does.
1: So she's saying it it really does look like someone has been in the room. We also heard earlier, it looks like she, quote, slid off the bed. Was there a rape attempt? And what does it say that she is already
5: cold to the touch? What does that say to you, Cheryl McCollum? It's going to give them a time of death, Nancy, because, again, she's already cold to the touch. There's blood everywhere. So the 911 operator at this point knows what she's dealing with. This is not someone that is unconscious is someone that is no longer alive. So they're going to start their investigation at that moment and then back up several hours. Well, it tells me
1: something completely different. It tells me she has been dead for a while. I got to figure out the last time that roommate saw her. I got to figure out the last time she was seen anywhere. Did she make a cell phone call? Did she make a credit card transaction? Did she use her ATM? Did she use one of those cards to get in and out of a parking garage? Because based on cold to the touch. She has been dead for hours. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. A special guest joining us Dr. Todd M. Barr why do I care about the timeline because it help, could help reduce the number of suspects that would have been around her Dr. Todd Barr joining us the deputy medical examiner out of Cleveland Dr. Barr she's in Ambient Air so we know that the apartment is probably somewhere between let's just say 69 and 72 how long And this is the scene of the crime based on all the blood. She was not killed somewhere else and dumped there on her bed. That didn't happen. So we know she's killed in the apartment. We know the approximate temperature. How long would that take for her body to go completely cold to the touch? We just learned that in the 911 call.
6: Yeah, I mean that's that. There's a lot of variables involved in that. Uh, w- what she was wearing at the time, um, I, I have a hard time. You know, after everything I've read about this case, uh, the feeling that she was absolutely cold to the touch. I, I, I have a hard time believing that, since um, it, it could it couldn't have been more than a, just a few hours, as far as I I understand. Um, and the other thing that I, I just quickly wanted to mention about mm-hmm. moving the body. Um, You know, some of those things, even like with with blood spatter on the wall and blood cooling on the floor, is the blood coagulated or is it still liquid? Uh, Are there there drag marks through the blood indicating that maybe the body was moved at some point? And by moving the body to the floor and trying to attempt CPR, those are some of the things that I was mentioning that that Mm -hmm. might be obscured in the process. Um, But as far as being cold to the touch. Uh, you know, that would take a, a number of hours to get to that point, because your body only decreases in temperatures like one to two degrees every every hour or so. So it, w- Nancy, it would take can quite I jump a while. In? For-
1: yes, jump in.
5: And I agree with Dr. Barr. Go ahead. I do too. Doctor, she was only wearing a T-shirt that was pulled up over her head. And also from 3 a.m. the last time she was saw, you know, seen, it was 11 a.m. the next morning. So approximately eight hours.
1: But what I'm saying is of course I'm just a JD I'm not an MD but doctor she was already cold to the touch cold that's what the roommate said so her body had had time to de- decrease from 98.6 to what would you say would be cold
6: 60 60 degrees uh, you know it would take a lot longer than 8 hours to get to 60 degrees that's my only concern How about seventy yeah, I mean 70 to 80 degrees, I mean she she could certainly have um you know if if her murder had happened uh relatively, you know, 8 hours earlier, uh, there's a good chance she could be cold to the touch by the time someone got to her. Yep, yep. But yep. it w- it wouldn't have happened it wouldn't have happened within a, just one or two hours uh prior.
1: Right. So that's really narrowing down the time of death we We know that there's blood everywhere We hear Serena Fazan describing that. I want to know something more about the apartment to Connie Hedgepath. This is Faith's mother, Miss Hedgepath. What can you tell us about the apartment? Have you ever seen it? Ah uh, yes, we went in it to get faith's things out of it what What kind of area what part of town was it in good area
4: bad area what uh it was a good area it was it wasn't that far from school.
1: Gosh, how many apartments have I dragged from all my junk from one apartment to the next trying to get cheaper rent around undergrad and law school? And you think, you know, and this is a common misperception, Dr. Angie Arnold, psychiatrist, joining us out of the Atlanta jurisdiction. You drop your children off at school or at their off-campus apartment and it's near campus and you think, okay, that's safe.
5: Yeah, it's not. You know, and also, Nancy, think about the 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 fury that you're in when you're dropping your child off at campus. We we just uh, took my kid over to Georgia Tech this uh, weekend. There are tons. I'm, gr- I'm not groaning of kids. about Georgia
1: Tech. I'm groaning about the thought of leaving the children. Go ahead.
5: Well, and there are just tons of kids walking around and, you know, it's it's they're moving into a new place. I don't think people are really paying as much attention as they should to what's going on because there's excitement and there's fear. And so, you know what? You don't pay as much attention to everybody that is around you as you should. And, I mean, Nancy, the cases that I've had of my young college students that come to see me, oh, my God, that that their apartments have been broken into and whatnot. I will tell you, Wendy Patrick, I am handing out your book to every college student that comes to see me. I lived in some real doozies, uh,
1: just to get the cheaper rent, and they were not in safe areas. But according to Faith's mom, Connie, and she's right, by the way, this was a low-crime area just off campus. So you'd think she's safe. Okay, so what happened? Was there a shooting? Was there a stabbing? Was there a bludgeoning? Well, listen to our Cut 12, our friends at 2020.
8: When police arrive, they see an empty bottle of rum.
7: It was covered in blood blood smudges it was a brutal brutal death did it seem like there
8: was forced entry going into the apartment
7: no there is no sign of forced entry
8: semen is also discovered on fate's body investigators use it to generate a DNA profile they're convinced that DNA belongs to the killer and that he may also have perpetrated a sexual assault is it more likely than not that she was raped yes In the search for fate's killer, that DNA profile will become sort of a glass slipper. But who will fit it?
1: You are hearing Chapel Hill Police Lieutenant Salisa LaHugh speaking to Ed Lopez, Serena Fazan. So there was a rape, and the murder
9: weapon was a rum bottle. Explain. A rum bottle, a Bacardi peach rum bottle. Um, uh, Nancy, can you imagine? And they found, as you just heard in that snippet, they did find, find forensic evidence on that rum bottle. But what this indicates is that this was an extremely violent attack and perhaps a personal one. Did they get any fingerprints off the rum bottle? From As far as I know, they didn't get fingerprints, but there was plenty of tissue fragments and DNA on it. And Connie, I know this is very hard to hear and we do apologize, but they had a lot of DNA and uh, tissue fragments enough um, to compile a pretty good portfolio. I mean, they- they You're talking
1: about a DNA profile when you say portfolio. Yeah. Cheryl McCollum, not only director of the Cold Case Research Institute, but forensic expert, the reality is this ain't this guy's first time at the rodeo. Okay, this guy is either raped or attacked before, or he's done it since. Just, just, rapists can't help themselves. They will do it again. I guarantee
5: you, his DNA is somewhere else to be found. Absolutely no question about it. It actually surprises me they don't have other unsolved cases with a matched DNA of this perpetrator. Um, that's shocking, unless he's in prison for something else.
1: Time Stories with Nancy Grace. Guys, we're looking at all angles about how this gorgeous 19 year old UNC University of North Carolina co ed was brutally murdered. And we got one answer, Serena Fazan. She was sex attacked. Yes, she was. I mean,
9: very sadly, the detectives did find semen on her body, they, you know, found tissue fragments. They found blood under her fingernails. So she fought hard. Also on the
1: scene, a mystery note. Take a listen to Our Cut 13, our friends at
8: 2020. What was some of the most important evidence that you collected from the bedroom?
7: There was a biscuit bag that was from Time Out Restaurant. Timeout is very popular in Chapel Hill and it's immediately
8: identifiable. Faith had gone out the night before, stopped at Timeout, and brought food back to the apartment. But now, that same bag contains five angry words. On the bag was some writing that said, I'm not stupid, bitch, jealous. What did you make of that?
7: Obviously, big evidentiary value.
8: The note is found on the bed. It is written in pen. Police say both the note and the pen have the killer's DNA on it. So police believe he wrote it. But here's a puzzle. While the room is covered in blood, the note is not. Police say the cleanliness of the note suggests the killer's hands, once bloodied after using the bottle as a murder weapon, didn't flee immediately. Instead, he may have taken his time to wash his hands and write that five-word screed. Adding to the mystery, police can't say for sure who the note was left for.
7: As to the intended target per se about the note, there were two residents there, and it would make sense the note was left for one of them. So, a
1: note that was clearly placed after the murder because everything else on the room was spattered with blood, but not the note. Take a listen to what Fate's father says. I cut 14. <laughs>
8: you're listening to a voicemail that came from Faith's phone on the night of the murder to her friend, Unit Chavis. It was probably unintentional, the result of an accident we've all made.
1: She's notorious for doing a butt dial phone call uh, where she accidentally calls somebody with the phone in her pocket. So I just assumed that was what it was.
8: If it sounds undecipherable to you, you're not alone. But when we brought Roland into WTVD to tell us what he hears, he was unequivocal.
0: I hear screaming in the background, his face voice. We're screaming.
8: Please, get off me. Roland's assessment is simple. His daughter is in grave danger. This is my baby girl's voice. And I know her voice.
1: You're hearing our friend Ed Lopez at 2020 WTDV also now take a listen to our friends at Crime Watch Daily. Does this audio recording, a pocket dial, actually record Faith's murder?
3: Do you believe what you're listening to here is Faith being murdered?
6: Yeah, I
1: do.
3: <laughs> there's a critical moment of this recording here where and it's it's so difficult for me to read out even the transcript to you, but I, there's the words, I think she's dying and do it anyhow.
0: I feel like Faith's being restrained at that point based on what I'm hearing now, OK?
3: <coughs> listening listening to that, do you recognise Faith's voice?
0: When she says, ow, I know it's Faith. <coughs> and I have no, no doubt whatsoever.
8: Faith's family cringing with every graphic, brutal detail.
3: There's the phrase, I can't believe you did it, Rosie. Well, what are your thoughts on that statement?
0: My impression is from that statement is that the female herself has done something at that point too. Faith has hit her in the head or whatever. To me, it sounds like three against one.
1: Straight out to Connie Hedgepath. This is Fate's mother joining us. That call was about 2.59 a.m. And it seems to suggest there's more than one person there. And it also seems that she's saying, it can't be you did it, Rosie. Who's Rosie? I have
4: no earthly idea.
1: To Serena Fasan, what are we learning from this cell phone? Did a garbled pocket dial from, from her cell phone actually catch, capture the sound of fate, Hedgepath's murder?
9: What about it, Serena? Well, Nancy, you know, there's been a lot of debate over that phone call, over that very phone call, because some argue that the phone call was timestamped at 1.23 a.m. And at that time, she was at the thrill, which is that dance club. I know I know Roland is convinced that that was um during the time of her death, but there's been a lot of debate over exactly what time that phone call was taken. Very, very chilly, clearly though. To Cheryl McCollum,
5: weigh in on this cell phone call. Well it's obviously disturbing, but again it goes to the timeline, but they have got to find out exactly when that came through. Then kinda you know, there's more to this note to me, Nancy, than the butt dial. Um, the note is there. The note is absolutely something we know is connected. The way it's written, the lack of blood tells me one of two things. He could have cleaned up and written the note afterwards, or he could have brought it with him. It could have been something he wrote sitting in his car watching her. So we don't know when it was written, but to me that would be very critical. But the words on it. Um, You know, calling the victim a bitch, saying that they're jealous. I mean, those are things that are very concerning. And again, I agree with you. This is not his first rodeo. He's going to continue if he's out. He's going to continue to harm people. You know, to Cheryl's point, to Cheryl's point, Nancy, you wonder whether or not
7: what you hear on the call is inconsistent with the notes, because it, you have the note, it sounds like it could be a jealous motivation, and maybe he wrote it first, like, like Cheryl was saying, that's why there's no blood. But then if you listen to the call, it might not really corroborate jealousy having been the motive. If there are more people there, though, there's more of a chance that someone's going to talk, that somebody's going to implicate somebody else. So that's another piece of evidence. You know, let this be a lesson to anybody that thinks that it's as easy as finding DNA to find a suspect.
1: You know, it's very difficult for me to believe, Wendy Patrick, that with DNA from the semen, and obviously the killer was holding a rum bottle, and you've got handwriting, that
7: they can't catch fate, the Hedgepath's killer. Yeah. And, and you know, this is one of the things that is always challenging sometimes when jurors watch too much CSI or some of these other crime forensic dramas that make it seem like it's as easy as finding a DNA sample and developing a subject. You might develop a suspect profile, as they did in this case, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to find a suspect right away. But this case in the chronology shows all the other clues we have to keep in mind in order to bring justice.
1: To Connie Hedgepath. this is Faith's mother. Connie, we, we talk sometimes about Faith as if she were a specimen because we're really analyzing the evidence. I want you to tell me your most vivid memory of your
4: daughter, Faith. Um, I guess one of the most vivid ones is um the way she just carried herself just kind of bouncing around. And, you know, when she came home, she'll always say, you know, Mama, give me love. And we hug each other. If we sat down and watched TV, she would lay on me. And um, we just lay there together and watch TV on the sofa. I mean, I'm sitting up and she's laying on me, you know. And um I just miss her husband, uh, you know, talking with her. Um I just I just miss her so much. And um we talk about that uh um, the butt call, I mean, you know, a lot of times, you know, like you know, they say it was from the club but and the timeline. And um I, you know, I had gotten a new phone, but I went back And looked at my, uh, text messages to, to back and forth to her, uh, way, you know, like back in March and I, I went all the way back to March looking at them and I was noticing how the timeline as far as the stamp on my phone was totally off. Um, we didn't talk at, uh, three, four o'clock in the morning. And that's some of those timelines that I saw. And I even on that Sunday, um, I wanted her to come home uh, because we were meeting my son uh, in Richmond. Uh, we were going to um, eat out for my birthday, and she, but she had to work. And so we called each other maybe four times that morning, or, the, or call each other uh, that morning and that evening. But she came home that evening after we, you know, when we got back and, um, she came with Karina. They wrote together and, um, she came to my daughter's house and we sat there and talked and she sat in the floor and played with uh, the dog and, you know, and after when I go down to my daughter's house, I can just see her in the floor playing with that dog. You know, um, but, you know, that was the last time that I saw her was that Sunday evening. Where does the
1: case stand now? Take a listen to... Crime Online's John Limley.
0: After nine years, investigators are announcing a major break in the Faith Hedgepeth case, and a Durham, North Carolina man is now behind bars. That man is 28-year-old Miguel Enrique Salguero Olivares. He's charged with first-degree murder in Hedgepeth's death and is being held without bond. For more, here's WNCN TV's Mackenzie Stasco.
9: Chapel Hill police aren't releasing really much, but they ultimately say DNA collected from the scene those nine years ago ultimately led them to the suspect. Now, police would not say how long Olivares was living in Durham when he was arrested today or if he knew Faith, but again, say that the DNA collected from the scene. With that, they were able to make a match and Chapel Hill police say this case is far from over and that they are still currently pursuing other potential leads, not ruling out other people potentially involved in this case. Meanwhile, Olivares is being held in the Durham County jail without bond.
0: Now it's interesting to note that as McKenzie said, investigators are not closing the book on this case, going so far as to say they believe there are others out there that could have been involved in Hedgepath's death. Guys,
1: if you have any information regarding the brutal rape and murder of this UNC co ed, Faith Hedgepath, please call 919 614 6363. 919 614 6363. We wait as justice unfolds. Nancy Grace Crime Story signing off. Goodbye, friend.